Hello again and welcome to the Vineyard Church Podcast. On this week's episode called Faith in Action, we pick up in Abram's story at a time of tension, division, and poor decisions. Jen shares some practical examples from Abram that helped him resolve the various trials and renew his walk with God. Let's listen in. Well, hello, everyone. Glad you are with us today. We are still working our way through the book of Genesis in our series called In the Beginning. And right now we are um, kind of at the beginning, getting to the middle of the story of Abram, who is one of the patriarchs of our faith. He was um, called by God to come out of this pagan culture that he lived in to become the father of the Israelites. Now, this is important to us as Christians because the Israelites were God's chosen people, and they were God's chosen people because the Messiah was to come from them. And so ultimately, we want to know about the Israelites because we are concerned about Jesus. It's interesting as you read the Bible, you will see all along, starting way back in Genesis and going all the way through, that there's this common theme pointing to Jesus. And even in the story of Abram, we see it. It may not seem obvious to us, but the story of Jesus is woven through this. Because Abraham was the father of the Israelites, he was the father of these chosen people, and this people was a special group. They were a special group because they were going to be the group the Messiah came from. So two weeks ago, Chris started the story of Abram. And if you're you're joining us now and you're kind of like, ah, that sounds kind of familiar, but I think I remember the guy being Abraham. Well, this guy Abram becomes Abraham, but it takes us a while to get to that point. So we're still in the part where he's Abram and hasn't his name hasn't changed to Abraham. But two weeks ago, Chris talked about the fact that God called him, kind of came to him in the middle of his pagan culture and his pagan life and, and called him to, to follow him. And it says in Genesis 12, 2, 3, that God said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This whole idea of all peoples being blessed through Abram is because all peoples are going to be blessed through his his descendant, who ultimately will be the Messiah. So even when we don't see Jesus spelled out specifically, he still is in the very beginning of this book. So what happens is Abram listens. He obeys God and he decides, all right, I'm going to do what he says. And ultimately what God had said right before he gave him that promise is he said in Genesis 1, he said, or, G, or 12, 1, go from your country, your people and your father's household. And he says, go into the land I will show you. And so Abram's like, okay, I'm going to do this. But he didn't do it quite exactly. It said, go from your, he said, go from your country, your people and your father's household. Abram brought his nephew Lot. And what we're going to find is that Lot's part in this story brings some interesting, maybe somewhat troublesome sides to the whole thing. Now, we remember, we, we covered this last week, and, and I think we may have even covered it the week before, but it's not Abram's perfection that caused God to call him. God, God didn't see that perfection. What he saw in Abram was the ability for Abram to have faith for Abram to trust God. And this ultimately can be encouragement to us because 
what we're going to see, and this will happen, we, we saw it last week, we're going to see it again coming up, but Abram will continue to make good choices and then he'll make bad choices. And some of these bad choices are significantly bad choices. I mean, he, he sins in big ways. Last week in particular, if you didn't, if you weren't here, you didn't watch online, you might have missed it, but uh, I would encourage you go back so that you can kind of get the full story. But Abram goes to Egypt, and um, as far as we can tell, God didn't necessarily lead him to Egypt. There was a famine, he was panicked about it, and so he took Lot and his people and then all of his own people, and they went into Egypt to avoid the famine. And while he was there, he ended up lying to the Pharaoh about his wife because he was afraid of how interactions between he and Pharaoh would be impacted by the beauty of his wife. And if it wasn't for God's intervention, Abram would have sacrificed the rest of his wife's entire life. But God intervened and 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 now and now what we're watching is Abram's response to that, how he responds after that. But basically it was a bad choice all around. It was a bad choice that he made. But what we see in Abram is we see a faith in action. And that's what we're going to look for today. As we watch him respond to his bad choice and to kind of walk out of that bad choice and back to God, we're going to see how we can as well in those times where maybe we take a wrong turn or we go toward Egypt, theoretically, how we can walk back to God. But again, this points to Jesus. And the reason it points to Jesus is because what we see, even with the patriarch of the chosen people, we see that no one's perfect. No one. No one is perfect except for Jesus. That's why Jesus had to come. You can read the entire Bible cover to cover. You can, you can look into the lives of all the heroes of the Bible and every single one of them, you will see they will fall short once, twice, several times. They could be um, hailed as, as great people later on. You know, the New Testament talks about the heroes of the faith and, 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 and speaks highly of Abram and highly of other people. But if you look at their individual stories, they screwed up over and over and over again. This is why we need Jesus. Abram was no different. So why, while we're going to see imperfection, what we're also going to see in Abram is a faith that causes him to turn back to God every time. So, Today, we're going to look at Genesis 13. So if you're in your Bibles or if you brought your Bibles or you've got your Bibles at home, you can look in um, chapter 13. We're going to cover the whole chapter, 1 through 18. Start in verse 1. It says, So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. Okay, so the good news is Sarah's still with him, or Sarai is her name at this point. So I don't know what that conversation looked like as they were walking out of Egypt. I don't even know if Sarai even talked to him. He may have had like six months of silent treatment. I don't know. It probably was bad. But he's got Sarai. He's got Lot with him tagging along. But he also still has his wealth, which is very interesting that God, even in Abram's bad choice, God still blessed him. He still uh, allowed him to, to be in abundance. And so both Lot and him and Abram are doing very well and have lots of livestock, lots of employees kind of taking care of all of, all of the animals and, and following in this kind of entourage of people. So in verse three, it says, from the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier. 
It's important. Remember, tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now we can skim through these verses because honestly, like we don't know where Bethel is. We don't know where I is. We don't know where they were. And so we can kind of just skim over that. But what we've got to remember is this is where Abram had heard from the Lord first. This is where he had committed to God to begin with. And so what we're actually seeing is we're seeing God or Abram go back to God. You know, it's, it's almost like he's thinking, okay, I screwed that one up. I need to turn around and get back with God and figure out where I need to go on this, in this whole scheme of things. It's this moment where we see him rededicate and repent and reconnect with God. I, I have a feeling that he sensed that he needed to be reconciled again with him. He had made some really bad choices that were, I'm sure, impacting his relationships and, and the way he was viewed by the people in his group. And I think this can happen often for us too. You know, what happened for Abram is he basically, he decided to rely on himself and, in, and, and not on God. He, became, he kind of acted independently from God. And when we do that, our sinful tendencies take us in di- directions we weren't intended for. And that's exactly what happened to him. This, his independence from God took him to Egypt and took him to sin. And our independence can do the exact same thing. So let's pause right here for point number one. Point number one is sometimes we need a spiritual refresh. There are times where we need to go back to the beginning of our faith where we need to remind ourselves where we met God to begin with, where we need to remember that he called us out of something and into something, that there was a a time where we were lost in our sin and then God, by his sovereign grace, pulled us out of that. We need to remember and confess that we are not perfect and he is, and that when we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. And that's what's happening here with Abram. You know, marriage experts talk about how it's really powerful for couples to share the story of how they met. That when they do that, like if somebody, if they're out, you know, they're at a party or whatever, and somebody asks the wife, you know, how did you two meet? That's the story. And if she goes on to tell the story and, and, and they reminisce that there is something powerful that happens in that memory that allows, in sharing that memory, that allows the bond to grow again. It reminds them of those feelings and those experiences. And it's a strengthener. I mean, honestly, if you ever want to encourage a married couple, Ask them to tell them your story. Ask them to tell you their story of how they came to know each other because it really is a blessing to them. Like there really is this thing that happens. And I think likewise, that happens to us in a spiritual sense when we remember what God did for us, how God called us from different places in our lives and brought us through different trials and, 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 and wooed us from the very beginning. I, just the other day, I was talking to somebody about you know, this horrible relationship I had in, in, in college and how God called me out of that. You know, and I don't think about that every day. I don't think about, you know, how at one time I was like the abused girlfriend. Like, I don't think about that. But when I look back and I think, when I do look back and I think, oh my goodness, look where God has taken me from. It reminds me and it helps me to just fall in love with God all over again. I have a sense that, that Abram in this time, in this walk, long, probably silent, hard walk back from Egypt, that he was missing God. 
And I don't know if you've ever felt that before, if you've ever been a place where you've just missed God. You know, you've either walked away from him intentionally or, or maybe, maybe just inadvertently, but you find yourself far from him and you think, oh, I just miss him. And that's just not you. That's also God wooing you back to him because he longs for you to be reconciled to him. That's why he sent Jesus again Another pointer to Jesus. We have to be honest with ourselves. There are times where we will compromise in life. And when we do that, when we sense that distance, when we sense that disconnection from God, we need to be like Abram here. And we need to turn around. We need to go back to where we started. And we need to follow him and commit to following him again. So let's read on. It says, now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also, oh, good old Lot, Moving around with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and lots. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time. Okay, so tensions begin to mount between Lot and Abram, specifically between their employees, but you've got to wonder if there's also some tension between the two leaders as well. And these, these arguments were probably, you know, who's going to get the better access to the water? Who's going to get the better grass first? Whatever it was. But you also have to wonder if there was this loss of respect for Abram. You know, his witness has been tarnished. He just really made a bad decision. And you wonder, when you lose respect for someone, do you also then disregard their needs and their wants? And so we see this tension and this disrespect and divisiveness kind of come into the, the family. And Abram's sin not only hurt his witness with, with, with the Egyptians, but it also hurt his witness with his own people. And it hurt his witness now with the Canaanites and the Perizzites, who they are now, you know, um, grazing in the fields with. So Abram, having had his time of refreshing, having recommitted to the Lord and, and kind of getting, gotten himself back into a right standing with God, he approaches Lot and he proposes a solution. It says in verse eight, so Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So Abram sees the tension. He senses the division. And this is a really cool thing. He takes the initiative to make things right. He could have, you know, he could have just ignored the tension. He, he, could have, he could have actually just responded in anger and put Lot and his servants in their place. I mean, after all, he was the leader of the clan. But instead, he worked to find a peaceful solution to the situation. He worked for there to be peace in a relationship. Now, some of us need to take this example to heart. We need to stop ignoring the tension that might be in our household or, or, or stop angrily fighting over certain things. And we need to take the initiative to pursue peace. How can you be the bigger person in the situation? Now, he knew, logistically, it was going to be okay. There was enough land for both of them. But what he was saying to Lot is, look, I'm going to let you pick. You pick your area. We just need to spread out. We just need to kind of part ways and make this better. You wonder, though, because he just had that recommitment to God, if he also remembered in his mind, oh, I was supposed to leave Lot behind. 
maybe it really is time to just kind of cut ways. It seems obvious to me that Abram learned some lessons in Egypt because what we see here is that no longer is Abram trying to fix everything on his own. You know, in Egypt, he went to, to, to solve the problem of the famine. He went to Egypt. But here we see him relying on God and trusting in God because Abram had every right to be the first one to pick the land. He had every right to say, hey, I'm the head honcho here. I get to decide I'm picking that over there. And then you go that way, we'll be fine. But instead he humbled himself and he said, you know what, Lot, you go ahead. You go ahead, you pick. This is faith in action again. This is us seeing Abram trust God for whatever land God's promising to him. So this is point number two. We can trust that God will fulfill his purposes no matter what. No matter what, God has a plan. And as much as we think we can screw things up, we can only screw things up to a certain extent. If there is a purpose and a plan that God has, he will fulfill it. And Abram seems to be getting this. He seems to be understanding this. Because, you know, when you think back to, to the situation in Egypt, God didn't have to intervene. He could have let Sarai be taken by Pharaoh and just never seen Abram again. He could have not caused the plagues that woke Pharaoh up to, hmm, what's going on here? Or he could have let Pharaoh, in response to the plague, be mad at Abram, take away his, his, his wealth, or, or hurt him, kill him, whatever. But God protected him because he had a plan. And Abram sees this. And I think he learned that he could trust God to fulfill his purposes, despite his sin, despite his frailties, despite his, his lack of trust or going in the wrong direction, despite compromising by bringing Lot to begin with. And what he's realizing is God's plans are bigger than our imperfections. So Abram, trusting God, lets Lot choose first. And as we see Abram in this process, as we see him trusting God more and more, we see him looking like Jesus more and more. It's so fascinating. Again, the Bible is this connected tapestry where all these truths are just woven in and out and throughout it. This example right here of what Abram is doing is lived out example of what Jesus taught his disciples in the New Testament. You know, there's this one scene in the New Testament where the, the mom of two disciples goes to Jesus and is like, look, I want my two sons to be like way high up in the hierarchy in, in heaven. Can you make that happen? And Jesus responds by teaching the disciples this. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, if you want to be first, be willing to be last. This is Jesus teaching. This is the character of Jesus being played out in Abram as he chose to trust God. Because as we move in faith, as we continue to trust God more and more, he will continue to change us to make us more and more like his son. We are to put others first. We are to put their needs above our own. This is the way of Jesus. And this honestly is the way of trust. It's the way of faith. It's, it's, it's the whole releasing of like, I got to look out for number one because nobody else is going to look out for me, for me. That's not the way of God because he's looking out for us. 
You know, I, th- I was listening to a pastor recently who was talking about this concept, and he said, you know, how many marriages would be saved by someone just letting go of the fight? Someone just realizing, I don't have to win this one. Like, it's okay if I, if I don't prove myself right in this situation. Now, of course, there are some fights worth fighting, but sometimes it's not worth it. Like, who cares? I mean, I think about, uh, you know, the family tensions that just naturally happen. Specifically, you know, you think about parent and child, you know, teens with their parents and, and just this back and forth that can happen where you just got to get the last word in. It really happens a lot with teenagers. I don't know if you know that, but it really does. Why? Why do we have to get the last word in? How many relationships would find healing if we just decided, you know what? This isn't worth fighting. I don't have to be number one in this scenario. Very interesting. There are times, and it really just does reveal our lack of trust in God, where we're like, I mean, the only way I can think to describe it is like, have you ever seen a chihuahua who's like scared? Because they're always scared. And they're like yippy, and they're like, you know, the the owner's holding them. And all you want to do is pet the chihuahua. And they're like, you know? Like, I feel like sometimes we're like that. Like, we cannot just... Let it go. And we look like an angry, scared chihuahua because we don't trust our owner. Trust your owner. Am I getting harsh? This happens sometimes with me. Okay, but this concept of putting others before ourselves is taught all over in Scripture, over and over and over again. And what we see is when we live out our faith, God makes us more and more like Jesus. Number three, when we trust God, it's easier to be generous. Again, Abram wasn't just looking out for himself. He wasn't just trying to cling everything for himself and make sure that he got the best deal. Generosity really is faith in action. It's actively trusting that God will provide for you, that you can live with open hands, that you can live um, um, giving and, and constantly being prepared to let others go ahead of you, to get the bigger piece of cake at the, at, the, at the potluck or to get the better, the parking lot. I mean, it isn't always just about money. Generosity can be about a lot of different things. But in this particular case, we see Abram's faith realized through his generosity. And greed is the opposite of that. Greed is coming back to that whole lack of trust in God. Greed is worried about number one. Greed results in striving and worrying and constantly just uh, 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 grabbing for things and holding on tightly. And we can see it, you know, we can see it from the get-go when kids are playing on the playground all the way through life to the very end. There are times where we struggle to trust that God really will provide for us. You know, and it's worth noting here that it isn't their wealth that causes greed. I think sometimes people see rich people, people who aren't rich or who think they're not rich. Of course, I think we're probably all rich when we look at the rest of the world. But I think oftentimes we look at rich people and we just assume greed. And wealth is not necessarily greed. Abram's wealthy here. And he wasn't greedy in his wealth. What what shows greed is what you're willing to do and what you're willing to compromise in order to get that wealth. Will you trade relationships for that wealth? Will you trade uh, moral uh, values for that wealth? That's what happens when greed is out of control. 
So Abram generously lets Lot have the first choice. He doesn't hold on tightly because he knows God has a plan and a promise for him. And he knows there's a land he's going to show him. And so he's like, okay, Lot, you pick. And what we see, which is really cool, is that because of that generosity, Abram ends up getting the better land, which you wouldn't be able to see initially. And I'm going to show you that in a minute. It says, Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We'll talk about that later. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. So, you know, it, this is one of those moments where you're reading through the story and you're like, Lot, no, just do what's right. Come on now. But no. He doesn't show respect. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't honor Abram, which is what he totally could have done. He totally could have deferred and said, no, no, Abram, you get to pick. I am your nephew. You go ahead. But instead, he's just like that chihuahua grabbing for what he wants, only thinks of himself, looks at this enticing, fertile land, also sees what we'll find out is that there's five exciting cities in this area as well. And he picks it because he thinks this is going to be better for me. He ignores the feelings of Abram, and Abram puts Lot's feelings first. Lot relied on his own instincts, independent from God, which we've talked about, while Abram trusted God to provide. Now, notice it says in that parentheses, we, we mentioned this, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. You see, we'll find out that Lot picks an area that is soon going to be under the judgment of God and will soon be made desolate and barren. At this point, apparently it was beautiful and fertile. But to this day, that area is dry and arid land. It's not anything like what is described here. In fact, it wasn't even good land when Moses wrote this book, which is interesting because he would not have had the ability to know that at one time it was beautiful land. We have the archaeological knowledge to know that, yes, actually, it was good fertile land at one point. But Moses would not have been able to know that. Again, it's another pointer to the fact that these stories aren't made up. This is history. Like, this is recorded history. This really happened. More and more as we look and find things archaeologically, we see how much all of it lines up with Scripture. In fact, all these cities that are mentioned in this section of Scripture, all of them have been discovered and confirmed as being cities during the time of Abram. They're all, they've all been found. Or either found there was like documents or, or pots or something that refer to those towns all been confirmed. Okay, back to Lot. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Near Sodom. Keep that in mind. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Now we're going to go into detail about Sodom and Gomorrah later, but all you need to know is that it was a bad place. Okay, sinning, wicked men sinning greatly. Okay, bad deal. Lot most likely knew this, okay? He was not some naive, ignorant herdsman. Keep in mind, he had traveled all over the place. He had come from his own pagan scenario. He had gone into Egypt and seen all that Egypt had to offer. He's familiar with the pagan lifestyle. This is not shocking to him to know about the wickedness in Sodom, but he still chose to go that way. 
Now it's interesting, did he think to himself, oh, it's not a big deal, I can handle it? Did he think, oh, I mean, I'll just stay kind of on the outskirts, it won't be a big deal? Or, or maybe he thought, I could be an example. Or maybe he just didn't care. I mean, maybe it wasn't even on his radar. We're watching Abram's faith. I don't know what to think completely of Lot's faith at this point. Although in the New Testament, they do refer to Lot as a righteous man. But he's making some bad choices here. It says, so he pitched his tents near Sodom. So he's, you know, he's on the outskirts. He's just hanging out. What we find out later is that eventually he moves into Sodom. And not only does he move into Sodom, but he gets so integrated into the culture that he becomes one of the business leaders. And this move, we will see, will end up being the beginning of the destruction of Lot and his family. What he thought was a good pick is going to result, first of all, in the fact that he no longer will have claim of the promised land because he picked this. But second, it results in him picking land that soon will not be fertile. And he ends up losing almost everything and hiding in a cave, which you're going to hear about later. Spoiler alert, but it's important to know now. Now, it leads me to the next point. Moral compromise comes easier when we don't have clear boundary lines. Moral compromise comes easier when we don't have clear boundary lines. Okay, so let me tell you something about my house. My house, I don't know, two or three years ago, we decided we were going to get the landscaping done. So we pulled out all the nasty old bushes that were shaped in odd ways because they were never really taken care of. And we put in new bushes and we put in new mulch and made it kind of this like rolling line. So it wasn't like a straight line in front of the house of mulch and then grass. And they asked me at the time, they're like, well, do you want like a brick border for the mulch? Or do you want, you know, one of those like, I don't even know what they're called, but they're like these plastic black lines that you like stick down into the ground to like separate the mulch from the grass. Well, I wanted it to look all natural. And I wanted it to be kind of this rolling, gradual thing. So I'm like, oh no, we'll just mound up the mulch. It'll be beautiful. It'd be great. Okay. It is a pain in the neck to keep the grass from intruding on the mulch. Okay, I have probably lost two or three inches of mulch area because the grass just keeps growing. I cannot keep up. And the other day I was out there and I was digging away at the leaves and, or the, the weeds and the, and the grasses. It was encroaching on my mulch. And I was thinking about Lot. And I was thinking, this is, this is what happens. You know, here's Lot on the outskirts. And, and, and the, the sin and the weeds of the sin just coming in and infiltrating what was happening in Lot's life. Where I, you know, I just, I, I just think about how this happens to us too. We think we can handle it. We think, ah, oh, it's okay. I can be around it, but not be involved in it. So often we think we can play in like the waters of sin, but not really get drowned by it, you know? Like we can handle it. But we don't realize on a given day how much of that, like, just that encroaching, not grass, but sin coming in on our lives. It comes through our phones. It comes through social media, through TV, through advertisements even, through, through newscasts, or just through, through stories we, we read or hear about. And I don't remember a time in my life when the lies have not been more synchronized and louder than they are right now. We are living in a time that is increasingly hostile to the truth found in scripture. And the weeds are coming at us. 
They are coming toward us. And all through scripture, there's this phrase that's used um, specifically in the New Testament when, it's, when Paul is talking to the church in the epistles. And he says over and over again, be alert, be alert, be alert. And this is how we have got to function. We have got to be alert because these weeds are coming in and we can so easily get numb to them or be deceived by them and not have clear boundaries. And what will happen is moral compromise will happen if we do not have clear boundaries. Now, it isn't just that living in a place that's wicked is what brings moral compromise. We see it in Lot, but we don't see it in others. Like Daniel, if you think about Daniel in the Old Testament, he lived in Babylon, which was just as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. In some ways, just as bad as our time today. It's a mess. It was a mess. And Daniel set clear boundaries and he did not compromise. What we see in Lot is not only did he not set clear boundaries, but he chose to live there. He picked it. Now, we are not necessarily choosing how our culture is going in the direction it's going right now, but we can choose to be like Daniel and not Lot. So, moving on, back to Abram. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. So Abram calls God and, 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 and calls him back and speaks to him again and says, look, this is what I'm giving you. Back in the beginning, the promise was, go to the land I will show you. He's showing him. This is the land that Moses took the Israelites to after slavery. This is the promised land. It's the promised land because of this promise. This is the moment where God is saying, here you go. This beautiful, from as far as you can see, east, west, north, south, this is yours and your ancestors. And this promise just shows the love and grace of God because Abram did not deserve any of it. He had sinned, he had fallen, he had been a pagan. But God speaks to him again. It's almost as if he's saying, I got you, Abram. We're still in this, we're still going, we're still doing this thing and it's gonna be good. And then the promise continues. He says, I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. That's quite a statement, you know, the dust of the earth. Then he goes on, go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. Now, this was the custom. If someone had acquired land at this time, they were supposed to go and visit it and walk through it and get to know it. But it also shows something else here. It's God saying, look, claim it. Go claim it. It's yours. It's finalized. But there's this beautiful thing of like, go enjoy it. Go walk through it. Which leads me to my next point. God wants us to enjoy what he's given us. You know, I just have in my mind this picture of Abram sitting on a knoll, you know, just sitting there, you know, kind of maybe his knees up and his, and his forearms on his knees, and he's just looking around, taking it all in. This is mine. I don't deserve any of this, and God has given it to me. And there are times where we just need to do that too. We need to stop and look around and say, I don't deserve any of this. And God has given it to me. 
You know, he was surrounded by hostile people groups. He, he was in charge of a growing number of employees and servants. There was a lot to do, but God invites him to claim the land and enjoy it. And when we trust God, we can do that. We can enjoy what he's given us because we can rest in what he's given us because that trust allows us to do that. We can stop worrying, stop striving, and rely on the promises of God. And we might not see all those promises of God fulfilled today. Abram didn't see all of that. He didn't see it right then. He didn't even see all of his ancestors, um, you know, come to claim that land. You know, when you think about it, if he's sitting on that knoll, you picture him on that knoll just looking around and how, how cool it would be. At the same time, though, Sarah doesn't have a baby, Sarai, and she's not pregnant. She doesn't have one on the way. There are times when, when we can, even when we look around at our blessings and think, I may have gotten the raw end of the deal. You know, I don't have that bigger house. I don't have that, that, the, the house that my sister-in-law has, or I don't have the car that my friend has, or I don't have the perfect marriage, or I don't have whatever. But time will tell for us, just like time told for Abram. Because even if we don't realize some things in this earth, we as believers in Christ have a promise of eternity that will last forever, that will look and be beyond anything we can imagine. As followers of Christ, this promise that is promised to Abram in the spiritual sense is our promise too. And our eternity starts now. It starts now with a relationship with God, who is the faithful God who will satisfy us for all of eternity. Which leads me to my last point, and really brings us back to the beginning of the message today, which is this, remember God first. It says, so Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. There he built an altar to the Lord. So here, Abram got in trouble because he went to Egypt because he was independent of God. He forgot about God. He didn't look to him first. But now here we see God putting God, or Abram putting God first. He gets himself settled in the land, and the first thing he does is worship God. We need to figure out our way, a way for us to do that as well where we are regularly reminding ourselves, focusing ourselves on God. Now that does not mean like religiousness. I don't want you hearing me say, go and get yourself some religion because it isn't about religion. It isn't about all the things you do. It is about having a relationship with a God who invites you into reconciliation and into a eternal relationship with him. Remember, Abram wasn't perfect. Religion is about trying to be perfect. We can't be perfect. God knows we can't be perfect. But God invites us into a relationship. He had a relationship with Abram. And so we need to invest in that relationship. We need to come to church, of course. But maybe that means we turn off the phone for a while and we just sit in his presence. Or we go for a walk in the woods and we remember that he created it all. Or we make a point to be around other believers to encourage them and for them to encourage us. We daily try to pray and read our Bibles so that again, we focus and we worship on God. You see, this promise that he gives Abraham includes us. We are a part of the story. I don't know if any of you guys, when you were growing up, and those of you who are younger may not have ever heard this song, but when I was growing up, there was a song in VBS that said, Father Abraham, and many sons, do you guys know this? Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. And then you did all these like weird things, you know, and then he kept singing and you, you know, this whole thing. But anyway, 
Okay, the people who taught me that song were not Jewish. I am not Jewish. But the song says, he has many sons, children. Okay, don't get offended by sons. Okay, but he had many sons. I am one of them and so are you. That is because we have, as, 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 as Christ followers, we have been grafted in to this promise. That our promised land is in heaven. That this is bigger than just the Israelites in, 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 in physical land. That because of our faith, because of the, the, the faith that God gave us, this grace that we walk in, this is our story too. Let me read to you what Romans says about Abraham. It says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations, many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he has delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. This promise is for us Abraham's story, Abram's story is about us. Jesus is the fulfiller of this promise. We are the dust in this promise. The ancestors will be like dust because we are his spiritual ancestors. There aren't enough Israelites, there aren't enough Jewish people to be the dust. But when you include all believers, all who have faith in God, like Abram had faith in God, we're a part of this too. And so take Abram's example, look to him, look to all these things that we see. And even when he screws up, don't follow those examples. But when he comes back to God and we're going to see, we're not even to the point where he's Abraham yet. And so we're going to see this up and down roller coaster over the next few weeks of him making good choices and bad choices again. I mean, he's still going to even lie about his wife again, but we will see a pattern of him returning to faith over and over and over again. And that is what God calls us to today. That when we fall, when we fail, when we realize our imperfection, when we inadvertently walk away from him, that we return, that we come back and we remind ourselves that we are people of the promise. We are people of faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for just this little snippet of scripture and Lord, all the truth that is found there. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for some reason you lit a fire in us to have faith in you. And we thank you for that gift. And we pray, Lord God, if there are people listening today who want to, to begin that relationship with you, who aren't really sure where they stand with you, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would draw them to yourself, that you would guide them, that you would direct them, that you would guide and direct all of us. Lord, keep us in the palm of your hand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. 
If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.